Let's talk about an important conversation I recently came across between a guy named Michael and Colonel Douglas McGregor. There's a lot to unpack, but it really gave me insight into what's going on behind the scenes with our country and where we might be headed. Alright, so first topic, Ukraine. Now I don't claim to be an expert on the war in Ukraine. It's a rapidly evolving situation, and both sides are engaged in information warfare. Propaganda is flying fast and furious from all directions. But here's what I took away from their conversation. This thing is not going well for Ukraine. I know the mainstream media paints a rosy picture of plucky Ukraine battling the big bad Putin, but it sounds like Russia has inflicted some devastating losses on them. We're talking maybe 300,000 Ukrainian casualties already that's dead and wounded. Meanwhile Russia has lost far less, somewhere between 20 minutes 30,000 killed. Just sit with that comparison for a minute. 300,000 Ukrainian casualties versus around 25,000 Russian casualties. That's at least a 10 to 1 ratio. This is not an even fight folks, not by a long shot. Ukraine is really up against the ropes here. And here's the crazy part, remember how Biden and NATO all said we won't send long-range weapons or get directly involved? Well that's all gone out the window. We've already given Ukraine tens of billions in military aid. And we keep inching closer to direct conflict with a nuclear power in Russia. I don't know about you, but this makes me really nervous. Ukraine is just not a core strategic interest for America, and Russia has clearly signaled they see Ukraine as an absolute red line for their security. Now am I excusing Russia's actions here? Of course not. War should always be an absolute last resort after all diplomatic avenues are exhausted. But we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the Russians and understand their perspective. If China or Russia were setting up shop in Canada or Mexico, arming them to the teeth, we know America would never tolerate that. Yet we seem intent on relentless provocation against nuclear-armed Russia, even as Ukraine loses ground day by day. So what is our endgame here? A negotiated settlement seems out of the question. The US essentially wants Russia to unconditionally surrender and withdraw. Folks, that is not going to happen. Are we ready to fight World War III over Ukraine? Nothing I've heard convinces me that would be in our national interest. And let me add this, diplomacy is a two-way street. If we want Russia at the negotiating table in good faith, we can't be sending signals that we want to destroy and humiliate them. I'm all for sanctions and firmness, but together with our allies, we had to empower the voices of reason and the escalation on both sides. There are always off-ramps short of total war if we seek them. Alright, moving on to China and Taiwan. Thankfully most folks I've talked to agree we should avoid direct military confrontation with China. That would be catastrophic for the US, Taiwan, and the whole region. Yes, America has an interest in preventing a forceful takeover of Taiwan. But again, diplomacy and deterrence should be the tools, not preemptive war. Trade and cultural ties between Taiwan and the mainland continue growing. And is gradual, peaceful reunification as the ultimate outcome under the one country, two systems model. I think America needs to be realistic about our actual limits of influence when it comes to Taiwan. This is a highly complex dispute over the status of what China views as a historical breakaway province. The days when America could control events in the Taiwan Strait by force are over. Reality is Taiwan's future will be decided first and foremost between Taipei and Beijing. Our role should be that of a concerned friend to both sides, not patron or bully. We should make crystal clear that a military invasion would be disastrous. But we must also respect China's core interests regarding its own territorial integrity just as we demand respect for ours. Neither China nor Taiwan actually wants war, but miscalculations could spiral out of control, and other regional powers like Japan and Korea certainly don't want to get dragged into a US-China conflict. They've got enough problems already. The bottom line is, America should focus on managing our relationship with China responsibly, avoid unnecessary provocations.
relations over Taiwan and let diplomacy take the lead. The last thing we need is direct war with China in defense of democracy when in fact most people in Taiwan, mainland China and the US would suffer catastrophic consequences. War must always be the last resort. Okay, switching gears, immigration and border security. Now this is an area where both parties have utterly failed the American people for decades. Our southern border is essentially wide open. Drug cartels are operating with impunity, smuggling millions of people across illegally every year. And deadly fentanyl is pouring in, killing over 70,000 Americans a year from overdoses. That's mass murder on an epic scale. Meanwhile, we've got over 11 million people living illegally in the shadows. The whole system is totally broken. I'm sorry, but this should be priority number one for any US administration. Stop the bleeding before you go trying to solve the world's problems. Here's what resonated with me from Colonel MacGregor. He said the military used to patrol and secure both the Mexican and Canadian borders up until 1948. Why not deploy them again temporarily to lock things down? And not just the army. The Coast Guard should be hunting drug runners in the Gulf instead of the South China Sea. Of course border security goes hand in hand with immigration policy reform. The problem is our government has abdicated its responsibilities. Democrats want open borders and Republicans want cheap labor. While the American people want and deserve secure borders and sane immigration laws. I don't think that's too much to ask for. We need a compassionate but law-based immigration system. Strong borders shouldn't be a partisan issue. Nearly every other country regulates who comes in and how many. Let's have this debate respectfully with empathy for all sides. But we have to get control over the chaos first. Otherwise the rule of law, the lifeblood of our republic, corrodes away. Alright, moving on to the military itself. Now, I'm certainly no expert on military readiness. But I do worry that divisive wokeness and identity politics are creeping in and undermining meritocracy, cohesion and effectiveness. The fact is, the military has to be built differently than civilian institutions. Its core purpose is to deter and prevail in armed conflict. That requires qualities like physical stamina, aggressiveness, small unit cohesion. Certain biological realities matter, however uncomfortable they may be. Yet the Pentagon seems increasingly focused on a woke agenda of diversity, inclusion, gender theory, identity politics has infected the officer corps and Pentagon bureaucracy. Merit and ability now come second to quotas and identity politics. That scares me. Meanwhile, as the colonel pointed out, we've got this massive top-heavy brass, at least 44 four-star generals. Yet effectiveness, accountability and readiness keep declining decade after decade. Just look at the Afghanistan pull-out disaster. Maybe we need to clean house at the Pentagon, get back to basics, focus on core combat excellence and readiness. The point is not to mindlessly bash the military. The vast majority who serve are honorable, dedicated patriots. But good leadership starts at the top, and here as elsewhere in our institutions, something seems to have gone astray. We keep stumbling into unwinnable wars and feudal nation-building quagmires. Our readiness for high-end conflict against major adversaries seems doubtful. Hopefully the professionals can reform from within, with help from courageous civilian oversight. There are never easy answers, but business as usual is badly broken. And that brings me to the election and the overall state of America. Now I try to stay positive and unifying on this show. But if we're being brutally honest, the country seems to be going off the rails on multiple fronts simultaneously. We're told our democracy is under unprecedented threat. But free speech, dissenting views, and accountability for abuses of power get you cancelled or banned from social media now. We spend trillions on endless wars abroad but our own border is unsecured as a raging opioid epidemic kills tens of thousands of Americans annually. Wall Street profits and CEO pay skyrocket while working families struggle with rising inflation and echo and OMIC insecurity. Violent crime is rising sharply, 
police are leaving the job in droves nationwide, and we simultaneously vilify law enforcement while expecting them to restore order. No society can thrive amid such contradiction and dysfunction. I could go on and on, but the point is this, in times like these, we desperately need fresh young leadership, people not beholden to the Washington power structure and special interests. We need servant leaders devoted to America's renewal, not their own power. Is either party up to the task? I'm not so sure. We need a new civic nationalism that puts the interests of working Americans first of all backgrounds and walks of life, one that honors both personal freedom and collective responsibility. We can't surrender to hopelessness or hatred. America is an amazing country, but we can't ignore the warning signs or pretend we're not facing existential crises that call for bold action and reform. My friends, I sincerely believe America's best days are ahead, not behind us, but only if we come together behind servants devoted to national renewal. We need values-driven leadership, our future remains unwritten. The hour is late but not too late. Together we can write the next great chapter in the story of liberty, but we must rekindle our sense of shared destiny and commitment to each other. There is no challenge we can't overcome if we regain that spirit. Well, I don't mean to end on a gloomy note after that impromptu rant, but this conversation really made me think deeply about the scale of the challenges ahead, and whether we as a country still have the vision, leadership, and unity to address them. The stakes are incredibly high within and beyond our borders. American leadership on the global stage really matters, but we can't lead abroad while our own house is in such disorder at home. Alright enough doom and gloom from me for one day. Let me know your thoughts in the comments. I appreciate the opportunity to share my thoughts on the ongoing crisis in Ukraine. This conflict has already extracted an unconscionable human toll and diplomatic efforts toward peace are urgently needed. According to recent reports, Ukraine may have suffered upwards of 400,000 military casualties so far, with over 60,000 soldiers requiring amputations. An entire generation is being ravaged. Meanwhile, in desperation, Ukraine has resorted to drone attacks deep into Russian territory, hoping to spread terror and weaken domestic support for the war. But these acts of desperation cannot fundamentally alter the strategic realities on the ground. Russia maintains overwhelming force superiority in terms of troops, modern equipment, artillery firepower, and logistical capacity. As Ukraine's military prospects dim by the day, there are deeply troubling signs the war could dangerously expand. Senator Mitt Romney has proposed legislation to increase NATO naval presence in the Black Sea. But this reckless idea runs afoul of international law, namely the Montreux Convention of 1936. The treaty restricts naval access to the Black Sea, granting Turkey sole discretionary authority over passage through the Bosporus Straits. Unless Ankara explicitly agrees, NATO has limited ability to send additional major warships into the region. We must remember that Moscow views the Black Sea as essentially a Russian lake within its natural sphere of influence. Any attempt to challenge this perception would be highly destabilizing. Russia retains the capability to target any ships that enter the confined waters of the Black Sea. This could draw NATO into direct fighting at a time when alliance unity is already under stress from the war's economic impacts. Meanwhile, NATO member Poland grows increasingly bellicose, eager to intervene directly despite the risks. Warsaw feels emboldened by potential US support, eyeing Western Ukraine as rightfully Polish territory. But direct Polish involvement would almost certainly make its cities potential targets for devastating Russian strikes. Are we prepared to risk the war going nuclear over such reckless adventurism? Make no mistake, the Kremlin has explicitly warned about precisely such escalation if Western powers directly join the conflict. Russia's public doctrine permits nuclear use if the existential survival of the state is threatened. With NATO troops battling Russians in Ukraine, Moscow may well see such a threat. This is playing with fire of the most
most dangerous kind, American leaders must ask themselves what vital U.S. interests are served by expanding this conflict. Ukraine is not a treaty ally. As heartbreaking as its plight may be, it does not justify triggering World War III. Absolute restraint is required. The risks dramatically outweigh any conceivable gains. And yet certain factions within Washington benefit politically and financially from prolonging this bloodshed. Industries profiting lavishly from weapon sales and military contracts have perverse incentives to perpetuate the fighting, no matter the human costs. Their greed comes directly at the expense of Ukrainian lives and dreams. Within the Biden administration, no coherent strategy exists. Mixed signals abound. Public bombast about defeating Russia contrasts jarringly with private hopes of finding an exit. This White House lacks the courage to change course, despite the lack of any plausibly achievable objectives through continued conflict. Grandstanding pronouncements continue from members of Congress, demanding more intervention and arms for Ukraine. But these proclamations are totally disconnected from reality on the ground. They come from politicians with no accountability or responsibility for the consequences of their bellicose posturing. In the absence of principled leadership from Washington or Brussels, other nations have stepped forward to facilitate dialogue. Saudi Arabia recently offered to mediate peace talks, likely with Moscow's quiet approval. While Saudi motivations warrant skepticism, their initiative tacitly acknowledges a fundamental truth. Most of the world yearns for peace. If Riyadh can bring both sides to the table, it may save many lives. Russia has signaled some openness to talks, but only if its core interests are respected. This would almost certainly entail at a minimum recognition of Crimea as Russian territory, acceptance of the independence of the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, a pledge of neutrality from Ukraine, and its demilitarization. These measures represent a bitter pill for Ukrainians to swallow. But the alternative is perpetual bloodshed. At some point, President Zelensky must make difficult decisions about what can realistically still be salvaged for his people after so much sacrifice. The window of opportunity for a negotiated solution will not remain open indefinitely. Russia has consolidated control over much of the territory it seeks to retain. Yes, the Kremlin clearly overreached with its initial disastrous invasion. But it has adapted, leveraging superior artillery and mass to relentlessly grind down Ukraine's military. Meanwhile, Europe's appetite for economic self-harm through sanctions has real limits. As winter brings energy shortages, calls for appeasement and accommodation with Russia will inevitably grow. Ukraine's options narrow with each passing day as casualties mount and ammunition runs low. But capitulation is not the only choice. Even in defeat, creative solutions can be found to preserve life and hope. For example, some have proposed emulating Austria's 1955 state treaty with the Soviet Union. Austria agreed to permanent neutrality in return for the restoration of its sovereignty and independence. A similar model could be envisioned for Ukraine, no NATO membership, but also no further loss of territory. Or perhaps Ukraine could solidify a frozen conflict by accepting the loss of the Donbas region, much like Moldova has done with its Transnistria enclave. These outcomes would be deeply imperfect and unsatisfying, but they would stanch the bleeding and allow gradual rebuilding. Is it not better to adapt creatively than to risk complete annihilation? Of course, the absolute priority must be stopping the daily slaughter of innocents on all sides. The unestimates over 5,500 civilians have perished already, including hundreds of children. This appalling toll climbs higher every single day. Surely enlightened statesmanship can still envision outcomes that preserve human life and dignity. In closing, I implore all those with wisdom and conscience to act. See past blind hatreds and hubris. Recognize that compromise achieves far more in the long run than endless ruin. Set aside reckless visions of total victory and humiliation of the enemy. Appeal instead to our shared humanity, to the love we hold for our children. We must believe peace remains possible
struggle or else surrender to despair entirely. The time has come for courage and creativity, for the strength to sheathe the sword. Too many graves are being dug already. No more lives should be sacrificed over blood-soaked soil and the ghosts of history. The mothers of Russia and Ukraine weep together as children perish. May cool heads yet prevail so that all might live as brothers once more. The yearning for peace knows no borders or ethnicity. All people cherish their sons and daughters' futures. Any settlement must uphold the fundamental dignity and value of every human life. I thank you sincerely for listening tonight. By continuing this vital dialogue, we take the first steps together on the long but hopeful road to reconciliation. Buckle up, because there's a lot to unpack here. First off, it seems Congress is threatening to subpoena Joe and Hunter Biden to testify about alleged Biden family corruption. On the surface, this may seem reasonable, transparency and all that. But as always, we need to think critically. What's really driving this? Political hit job or genuine concern? Knowing what we know about the agendas at play, this reeks of partisan witch hunts attempting to hobble Biden before 2024. Typical DC, power games which I want no part in. Lead the endless partisan squabbling to the legacy media laptops, am I right? Meanwhile, Trump's legal woes continue. They're pushing for his January 6th trial to start right as the 2024 primaries are heating up. Pretty blatant if you ask me. This has naked political interference written all over it. The timing is just too convenient. Whether you love or hate Trump, every fair-minded person should oppose this abuse of legal processes for political ends. Once you go down that road, objective truth becomes collateral damage. Not exactly a recipe for national unity. But what else would you expect from the corrupt DC? Establishment. Shifting gears, Senator Joe Manchin is signaling he may leave the Democratic Party. Can't say I blame him. Today's woke progressives have clearly lost the plot. All the more reason we need to move past narrow partisanship and start building broad coalitions around shared principles, not just party labels. This brings us to the border crisis. Governor Abbott continues busing migrants to sanctuary cities, and Democrat mayors aren't happy about it. Hate to say I told you so, but actions have consequences. Play partisan politics with border security and this is what you get. We need calm, constructive solutions here, not political grandstanding. That starts with securing the border to stop this inflamed game of hot potato. Otherwise migrants will keep getting exploited while communities collapse under the strain. Not an acceptable outcome for anyone. With that said, reports of abandoned migrant children are truly heartbreaking. However this shakes out politically, compassion must come first. Kids should never be used as political pawns. Period. We urgently need a humanitarian response to keep them safe. Politics can wait. Shifting back home, gas prices are still squeezing Americans dry. Yet the administration keeps doubling down on policies that drive prices higher. At some point you had to stop and say enough is enough. Time to get serious about energy independence before we bankrupt American families. But even as the homeland struggles, another 25 billion in aid to Ukraine is in the works. I get supporting allies, but not when it comes at the expense of our own festering troubles. We can't police the world while neglecting critical problems here at home. That help starts with getting our own house in order first. Over in Eastern Europe, Poland is bulking up its border forces, while Ukraine threatens Russian ships. Or escalation on both sides. Nothing good can come from this spiraling tit-for-tat. Cool heads must prevail before things boil over into open conflict. Let's talk about an important conversation I recently came across between a guy named Michael and 
Colonel Douglas MacGregor. There's a lot to unpack, but it really gave me insight into what's going on behind the scenes with our country and where we might be headed. Alright, so first topic, Ukraine. Now I don't claim to be an expert on the war in Ukraine. It's a rapidly evolving situation, and both sides are engaged in information warfare. Propaganda is flying fast and furious from all directions. But here's what I took away from their conversation. This thing is not going well for Ukraine. I know the mainstream media paints a rosy picture of plucky Ukraine battling the big bad Putin, but it sounds like Russia has inflicted some devastating losses on them. We're talking maybe 300,000 Ukrainian casualties already that's dead and wounded. Meanwhile Russia has lost far less, somewhere between 20 minutes 30,000 killed. Just sit with that comparison for a minute. 300,000 Ukrainian casualties versus around 25,000 Russian casualties. That's at least a 10 to 1 ratio. This is not an even fight folks, not by a long shot. Ukraine is really up against the ropes here. And here's the crazy part, remember how Biden and NATO all said we won't send long-range weapons or get directly involved? Well that's all gone out the window. We've already given Ukraine tens of billions in military aid. And we keep inching closer to direct conflict with the nuclear power in Russia. I don't know about you, but this makes me really nervous. Ukraine is just not a core strategic interest for America. And Russia has clearly signaled they see Ukraine as an absolute red line for their security. Now am I excusing Russia's actions here? Of course not. War should always be an absolute last resort after all diplomatic avenues are exhausted. But we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the Russians and understand their perspective. If China or Russia were setting up shop in Canada or Mexico, arming them to the teeth, we know America would never tolerate that. Yet we seem intent on relentless provocation against nuclear-armed Russia, even as Ukraine loses ground day by day. So what is our end game here? A negotiated settlement seems out of the question. The US essentially wants Russia to unconditionally surrender and withdraw. Folks, that is not going to happen. Are we ready to fight World War III over Ukraine? Nothing I've heard convinces me that would be in our national interest. And let me add this, diplomacy is a two-way street. If we want Russia at the negotiating table in good faith, we can't be sending signals that we want to destroy and humiliate them. I'm all for sanctions and firmness. But together with our allies, we had to empower the voices of reason and the escalation on both sides. There are always off-ramps short of total war if we seek them. Alright, moving on to China and Taiwan. Thankfully most folks I've talked to agree we should avoid direct military confrontation with China. That would be catastrophic for the US, Taiwan, and the whole region. Yes, America has an interest in preventing a forceful takeover of Taiwan. But again, diplomacy and deterrence should be the tools, not preemptive war. Trade and cultural ties between Taiwan and the mainland continue growing. NEC gradual, peaceful reunification as the ultimate outcome under the one country, two systems model. I think America needs to be realistic about our actual limits of influence when it comes to Taiwan. This is a highly complex dispute over the status of of what China views as a historical breakaway province. The days when America could control events in the Taiwan Strait by force are over. Reality is Taiwan's future will be decided first and foremost between Taipei and Beijing. Our role should be that of a concerned friend to both sides, not patron or bully. We should make crystal clear that a military invasion would be disastrous. But we must also respect China's core interests regarding its own territorial integrity just as we demand respect for ours. Either China nor Taiwan actually wants war, but 
Miscalculations could spiral out of control, and other regional powers like Japan and Korea certainly don't want to get dragged into a US-China conflict. They've got enough problems already. The bottom line is, America should focus on managing our relationship with China responsibly, avoid unnecessary provocations over Taiwan, and let diplomacy take the lead. The last thing we need is direct war with China in defense of democracy when in fact most people in Taiwan, mainland China, and the US would suffer catastrophic consequences. War must always be the last resort. Okay, switching gears, immigration and border security. Now this is an area where both parties have utterly failed the American people for decades. Our southern border is essentially wide open. Drug cartels are operating with impunity, smuggling millions of people across illegally every year. And deadly fentanyl is pouring in, killing over 70,000 Americans a year from overdoses. That's mass murder on an epic scale. Meanwhile, we've got over 11 million people living illegally in the shadows. The whole system is totally broken. I'm sorry, but this should be priority number one for any US administration. Stop the bleeding before you go trying to solve the world's problems. Here's what resonated with me from Colonel MacGregor. He said the military used to patrol and secure both the Mexican and Canadian borders up until 1948. Why not deploy them again temporarily to lock things down? And not just the army. The Coast Guard should be hunting drug runners in the Gulf instead of the South China Sea. Of course border security goes hand in hand with immigration policy reform. The problem is our government has abdicated its responsibilities. Democrats want open borders and Republicans want cheap labor. While the American people want and deserve secure borders and sane immigration laws. I don't think that's too much to ask for. We need a compassionate but law-based immigration system. Strong borders shouldn't be a partisan issue. Nearly every other country regulates who comes in and how many. Let's have this debate respectfully with empathy for all sides. But we have to get control over the chaos first. Otherwise the rule of law, the lifeblood of our republic, corrodes away. Alright, moving on to the military itself. Now, I'm certainly no expert on military readiness. But I do worry that divisive wokeness and identity politics are creeping in and undermining meritocracy, cohesion and effectiveness. The fact is, the military has to be built differently than civilian institutions. Its core purpose is to deter and prevail in armed conflict. That requires qualities like physical stamina, aggressiveness, small unit cohesion. Certain biological realities matter, however uncomfortable they may be. Yet the Pentagon seems increasingly focused on a woke agenda of diversity, inclusion, gender theory, identity politics has infected the officer corps and Pentagon bureaucracy. Merit and ability now come second to quotas and identity politics. That scares me. Meanwhile, as the colonel pointed out, we've got this massive top-heavy brass, at least 44 four-star generals. Yet effectiveness, accountability and readiness keep declining decade after decade. Just look at the Afghanistan pull-out disaster. Maybe we need to clean house at the Pentagon, get back to basics, focus on core combat excellence and readiness. The point is not to mindlessly bash the military. The vast majority who serve are honorable, dedicated patriots. But good leadership starts at the top, and here as elsewhere in our institutions, something seems to have gone astray. We keep stumbling into unwinnable wars and feudal nation-building quagmires. Our readiness for high-end conflict against major adversaries seems doubtful. Hopefully the professionals can reform from within, with help from courageous civilian oversight. There are never easy answers, but business as usual is badly broken. And that brings me to the election and the overall state of America. Now I try to stay positive and unifying on this show. 
But if we're being brutally honest, the country seems to be going off the rails on multiple fronts simultaneously. We're told our democracy is under unprecedented threat, but free speech, dissenting views, and accountability for abuses of power get you cancelled or banned from social media now. We spend trillions on endless wars abroad but our own border is unsecured as a raging opioid epidemic kills tens of thousands of Americans annually. Wall Street profits and CEO pay skyrocket while working families struggle with rising inflation and echo NOMIC insecurity. Violent crime is rising sharply, police are leaving the job in droves nationwide, and we simultaneously vilify law enforcement while expecting them to restore order. No society can thrive amid such contradiction and dysfunction. I could go on and on, but the point is this, in times like these, we desperately need fresh young leadership, people not beholden to the Washington power structure and special interests. We need servant leaders devoted to America's renewal, not their own power. Is either party up to the task? I'm not so sure. We need a new civic nationalism that puts the interests of working Americans first, of all backgrounds and walks of life. One that honors both personal freedom and collective responsibility. We can't surrender to hopelessness or hatred. America is an amazing country, but we can't ignore the warning signs or pretend we're not facing existential crises that call for bold action and reform. My friends, I sincerely believe America's best days are ahead, not behind us, but only if we come together behind servants devoted to national renewal. We need values-driven leadership. Our future remains unwritten. The hour is late but not too late. Together we can write the next great chapter in the story of liberty. But we must rekindle our sense of shared destiny and commitment to each other. There is no challenge we can't overcome if we regain that spirit. Well, I don't mean to end on a gloomy note after that impromptu rant. But this conversation really made me think deeply about the scale of the challenges ahead and whether we as a country still have the vision, leadership and unity to address them. The stakes are incredibly high within and beyond our borders. American leadership on the global stage really matters. But we can't lead abroad while our own house is in such disorder at home. Alright enough doom and gloom from me for one day. Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Leaders need to choose diplomacy over belligerence. No one wins in war between nuclear powers. That's the cliff we're drifting towards unless wisdom prevails on all sides. The hawkish rhetoric filling the airwaves only fans the flames further. We need the escalation now before it's too late. Switching hemispheres, a presidential candidate in Ecuador was just assassinated in broad daylight. A truly barbaric act, but also a symptom of a world adrift morally. When power and greed become the only gods we serve, corruption and violence fill the void. We desperately need an awakening of wisdom, compassion and integrity in the halls of power worldwide. The stakes couldn't be higher. In many ways, humanity faces an existential crossroads. Do we continue down the road of division and self-destruction, or do we take the higher path of cooperation and co-creation. The choice is ours. But on that hopeful note, I'll wrap things up for today. Never forget, despite the drumbeat of cynicism out there, we are blessed to live in the most prosperous, free civilization in human history. It's easy to focus only on the problems and take it all for granted. I try to stay grateful and encourage you to do the same. As always when geopolitical temperatures rise, we need to stay vigilant against alarmism and moral clarity. The legacy media love stoking fears of imminent war. Ratings over recent, but panic serves no one. Breathe, assess, strategize. Now Poland is understandably on edge given the proximity of Russian-aligned Wagner forces in Belarus. That's just sane threat awareness. But as my guest stresses, perspective is key. He estimates only around 8,000 likely armed Wagner mercenaries near the border acting under Belarusian constraints. Hardly an invasion force. Plus, Belarus has no appetite for provoking Poland, and the Kremlin is focused on Ukraine. So while vigilance is prudent, panic is not. This 
looks more like Polish posturing to justify military budgets than genuine imminent danger. As with most geopolitical flare-ups, the real risk stems from miscalculations, not malevolence. Cool heads must prevail. Which brings us to Putin's stock assessment of the slaughterhouse Ukraine has become for its troops, an estimated 10 Ukrainian soldiers killed for every one Russian. Hard truths to swallow, but closing our eyes to reality serves nothing. However brutal, these are the facts we must grapple with to achieve peace. And the numbers align with my guest's conservative estimate of around 400,000 Ukrainian troops already killed, a staggering toll with potential for over half a million dead by summer's end absent a ceasefire. This cannot stand. There are no winners in wars of attrition, only wasted lives and needless suffering. Understandably, Ukraine wants to save face amidst debacles like the recent Saporizhia meltdowns. But spin and denial only prolong the bloodshed. What's needed now is a pragmatic acceptance that Russia currently holds the battlefield advantage, so unrealistic mandates of Russian defeat only throw more Ukrainian lives into the gears of war. The same for those arming Ukraine with false hopes. Leaders must find the courage to acknowledge harsh realities, no matter how unpopular, and chart an ethical path to peace. But with politicians catering to hawkish audiences, I fear the courage deficit runs deep. Still, this is no time for hand-wringing cynicism. Clear-eyed idealism matched with strategic non-violence can turn the tide. It must, because make no mistake, this conflict sits atop a powder keg capable of igniting catastrophes spanning the globe. The developing world especially hangs in the balance as vital grain exports and fertilizers remain blocked. Despite admirable efforts to circumvent the impasse, as my guest explains, Russia's cooperation remains essential to stabilizing world food prices and averting famine. Yet brinksmanship rules the day. Poland expands troop numbers and Ukraine threatens Russian ships, inflaming tensions and mutual mistrust. While India now blocks rice exports amid hoarding fears, each side racing to secure their own interests above all, leaving the most vulnerable behind. This fraying of compassion and cooperation does not bode well, but a chance for wisdom still remains if leaders choose diplomacy over belligerence. And that choice rests with each of us as well. Public opinion, not realpolitik, is the rudder that can steer statesmen toward non-violent solutions. But it takes engaged citizens willing to do the work of understanding complex conflicts beyond partisan talking points. Ours is an age of distraction and demagoguery, so this diligence is no small ask. But transcending propaganda to discover deeper human truths, the shared hopes and frailties binding us all, remains humanity's north star through the fog of war. In the end, the arc of history bends towards truth and reconciliation, not tribalism and destruction. Have faith. We must take care not to let prudence devolve into paranoia regarding the Wagner forces in Belarus. Hard-earned wisdom teaches that fear often breeds the very conflicts it hopes to avoid. Stoking hysteria can awake the proverbial sleeping giant, creating self-fulfilling prophecies. Clear minds are the key to averting calamity, refusing to get sucked into alarmist groupthink. And let's not overlook potential positive motives here either. Perhaps Russia is simply looking to avoid uncontrolled escalation on its borders. Often in geopolitics, defense is painted as a fence by opponents. This fog of war should make us cautious about familiar good versus evil narratives. There may be thoughtful deterrence strategies at play not visible to outside observers. Either way, peace must be the North Star guiding all actors. Belief in redemptive solutions, however improbable, can open up creative alternatives barely imaginable now. In spite
inspiring examples from Gandhi to MLK demonstrate the power of principled non-violence to dissolve seemingly insurmountable conflicts. But leaders need help mobilizing the political will for such bold peacemaking visions. Public engagement is key. Movements to write letters, make calls, hold prayer vigils, anything to show support for diplomacy over aggression can embolden statesmen to take risks for peace. Grassroots action declares we've got your back against inevitable pushback. Plus determined citizens can lead the way bypassing gridlock governments via people-to-people -people diplomacy. Imagine Ukrainian and Russian mothers sharing their anguish and forging bonds of understanding, or Russian and Polish performing artists using their talents to humanize supposed enemies. A thousand creative demonstrations of our shared humanity await activation by everyday peacemakers. But divine timing is everything. Sometimes we must wait patiently, avoiding reckless provocations that could slam doors shut. Discerning when and how to act takes tuning into higher wisdom beyond our own limited minds. But make no mistake, now is always a time for quiet preparation. Increase compassion. Consume balanced media. Know history. Engage respectfully with opposing views. Lay the foundations for reconciliation. Because lasting change unfolds from transformed consciousness, not just changes in policy. As Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. So be the light. Don't underestimate the power of seemingly small acts of courage, care and moral clarity. Plant seeds today and tomorrow may bear unimagined fruit. On that note, I'll wrap up today's dispatch. Never forget, lasting hope lies beyond the headlines and the shared heart beating within us all. The divine image dwells within every person, no matter how obscured by ideology and pain. Meet the world with this timeless truth forefront in your mind and watch walls dissolve. Good evening, I appreciate the opportunity to share my thoughts on the ongoing crisis in Ukraine. This conflict has already extracted an unconscionable human toll, and diplomatic efforts toward peace are urgently needed. According to recent reports, Ukraine may have suffered upwards of 400,000 military casualties so far, with over 60,000 soldiers requiring amputations. An entire generation is being ravaged. Meanwhile, in desperation, Ukraine has resorted to drone attacks deep into Russian territory, hoping to spread terror and weaken domestic support for the war. But these acts of desperation cannot fundamentally alter the strategic realities on the ground. Russia maintains overwhelming force superiority in terms of troops, modern equipment, artillery firepower, and logistical capacity. As Ukraine's military prospects dim by the day, there are deeply troubling signs the war could dangerously expand. Senator Mitt Romney has proposed legislation to increase NATO naval presence in the Black Sea. But this reckless idea runs afoul of international law, namely the Montreux Convention of 1936. The treaty restricts naval access to the Black Sea, granting Turkey sole discretionary authority over passage through the Bosporus Straits. Unless Ankara explicitly agrees, NATO has limited ability to send additional major warships into the region. We must remember that Moscow views the Black Sea as essentially a Russian lake within its natural sphere of influence. Any attempt to challenge this perception would be highly destabilizing. Russia retains the capability to target any ships that enter the confined waters of the Black Sea. This could draw NATO into direct fighting at a time when alliance unity is already under stress from the war's economic impacts. Meanwhile, NATO member Poland grows increasingly bellicose, eager to intervene directly despite the risks. Warsaw feels emboldened by potential US support, eyeing Western Ukraine as rightfully Polish territory. A direct Polish involvement would almost certainly make its cities potential targets for devastating Russian strikes. Are we prepared to risk the war going nuclear over such reckless adventurism? Make no mistake, the Kremlin has explicitly warned about precisely such escalation if Western powers directly join the conflict. Russia's public doctrine permits nuclear use if the existential survival of the state is threatened.
threatened. With NATO troops battling Russians in Ukraine, Moscow may well see such a threat. This is playing with fire of the most dangerous kind. American leaders must ask themselves what vital US interests are served by expanding this conflict. Ukraine is not a treaty ally. As heartbreaking as its plight may be, it does not justify triggering World War III. Absolute restraint is required. The risks dramatically outweigh any conceivable gains. And yet certain factions within Washington benefit politically and financially from prolonging this bloodshed. Industries profiting lavishly from weapon sales and military contracts have perverse incentives to perpetuate the fighting, no matter the human costs. Their greed comes directly at the expense of Ukrainian lives and dreams. Within the Biden administration, no coherent strategy exists. Mixed signals abound. Public bombast about defeating Russia contrasts jarringly with private hopes of finding an exit. This White House lacks the courage to change course, despite the lack of any plausibly achievable objectives through continued conflict. Grandstanding pronouncements continue from members of Congress, demanding more intervention and arms for Ukraine. But these proclamations are totally disconnected from reality on the ground. They come from politicians with no accountability or responsibility for the consequences of their bellicose posturing. In the absence of principled leadership from Washington or Brussels, other nations have stepped forward to facilitate dialogue. Saudi Arabia recently offered to mediate peace talks, likely with Moscow's quiet approval. While Saudi motivations warrant skepticism, their initiative tacitly acknowledges a fundamental truth. Most of the world yearns for peace. If Riyadh can bring both sides to the table, it may save many lives. Russia has signaled some openness to talks but only if its core interests are respected. This would almost certainly entail at a minimum recognition of Crimea as Russian territory, acceptance of the independence of the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, a pledge of neutrality from Ukraine, and its demilitarization. These measures represent a bitter pill for Ukrainians to swallow. But the alternative is perpetual bloodshed. At some point, President Zelensky must make difficult decisions about what can realistically still be salvaged for his people after so much sacrifice. The window of opportunity for a negotiated solution will not remain open indefinitely. Russia has consolidated control over much of the territory it seeks to retain. Yes, the Kremlin clearly overreached with its initial disastrous invasion. But it has adapted, leveraging superior artillery and mass to relentlessly grind down Ukraine's military. Meanwhile, Europe's appetite for economic self-harm through sanctions has real limits. As winter brings energy shortages, calls for appeasement and accommodation with Russia will inevitably grow. Ukraine's options narrow with each passing day as casualties mount and ammunition runs low. But capitulation is not the only choice. Even in defeat, creative solutions can be found to preserve life and hope. For example, some have proposed emulating Austria's 1955 state treaty with the Soviet Union. Austria agreed to permanent neutrality in return for the restoration of its sovereignty and independence. A similar model could be envisioned for Ukraine. No NATO membership, but also no further loss of territory. Or perhaps Ukraine could solidify a frozen conflict by accepting the loss of the Donbas region, much like Moldova has done with its Transnistria enclave. These outcomes would be deeply imperfect and unsatisfying, but they would stanch the bleeding and allow gradual rebuilding. Is it not better to adapt creatively than to risk complete annihilation? Of course, the absolute priority must be stopping the daily slaughter of innocents on all sides. The unestimates over 5,500 civilians have perished already, including hundreds of children. This appalling toll climbs higher every single day. Surely enlightened statesmanship can still envision outcomes that preserve human life and dignity. In closing, I implore all those with wisdom and conscience to act. See past blind hatreds and hubris. Recognize that compromise achieves far more in the long run than endless ruin. Set aside reckless visions of total victory and humiliation.
humiliation of the enemy, appeal instead to our shared humanity, to the love we hold for our children. We must believe peace remains possible or else surrender to despair entirely. The time has come for courage and creativity, for the strength to sheathe the sword. Too many graves are being dug already. No more lives should be sacrificed over blood-soaked soil and the ghosts of history. The mothers of Russia and Ukraine weep together as children perish. May cool heads yet prevail, so that all might live as brothers once more. The yearning for peace knows no borders or ethnicity. All people cherish their sons' and daughters' futures. Any settlement must uphold the fundamental dignity and value of every human life. I thank you sincerely for listening tonight. By continuing this vital dialogue, we take the first steps together on the long but hopeful road to reconciliation. Buckle up, because there's a lot to unpack here. First off, it seems Congress is threatening to subpoena Joe and Hunter Biden to testify about alleged Biden family corruption. On the surface, this may seem reasonable, transparency and all that. But as always, we need to think critically. What's really driving this? Political hit job or genuine concern? Knowing what we know about the agendas at play, this reeks of partisan witch hunts attempting to hobble Biden before 2024. Typical DC, power games which I want no part in. Lead the endless partisan squabbling to the legacy media laptops, am I right? Meanwhile, Trump's legal woes continue. They're pushing for his January 6th trial to start right as the 2024 primaries are heating up. Pretty blatant if you ask me. This has naked political interference written all over it. The timing is just too convenient. Whether you love or hate Trump, every fair-minded person should oppose this abuse of legal processes for political ends. Once you go down that road, objective truth becomes collateral damage. Not exactly a recipe for national unity. But what else would you expect from the corrupt DC establishment? Shifting gears, Senator Joe Manchin is signaling he may leave the Democratic Party. Can't say I blame him. Today's woke progressives have clearly lost the plot. All the more reason we need to move past narrow partisanship and start building broad coalitions around shared principles, not just party labels. This brings us to the border crisis. Governor Abbott continues busing migrants to sanctuary cities, and Democrat mayors aren't happy about it. Hate to say I told you so, but actions have consequences. Play partisan politics with border security and this is what you get. We need calm, constructive solutions here, not political grandstanding. That starts with securing the border to stop this inflamed game of hot potato. Otherwise migrants will keep getting exploited while communities collapse under the strain. Not an acceptable outcome for anyone. With that said, reports of abandoned migrant children are truly heartbreaking. However this shakes out politically, compassion must come first. Kids should never be used as political pawns. Period. We urgently need a humanitarian response to keep them safe. Politics can wait. Shifting back home, gas prices are still squeezing Americans dry. Yet the administration keeps doubling down on policies that drive prices higher. At some point you have to stop and say enough is enough. Time to get serious about energy independence before we bankrupt American families. But even as the homeland struggles, another 25 billion in aid to Ukraine is in the works. I get supporting allies, but not when it comes at the expense of our own festering troubles. We can't police the world while neglecting critical problems here at home. That help starts with getting our own house in order first. Over in Eastern Europe, Poland is bulking up its border forces, while Ukraine threatens Russian ships. More escalation on both sides. Nothing good can come from this spiraling tit-for-tat. Cool heads must prevail before things boil over into open conflict. Leaders need to choose diplomacy over belligerence. No one wins in war between nuclear powers.
powers, that the cliff were drifting towards unless wisdom prevails on all sides, the hawkish rhetoric filling the airwaves only fans the flames further. We need the escalation now before it's too late. Switching hemispheres, a presidential candidate in Ecuador was just assassinated in broad daylight. A truly barbaric act, but also a symptom of a world adrift morally. When power and greed become the only gods we serve, corruption and violence fill the void. We desperately need an awakening of wisdom, compassion and integrity in the halls of power worldwide. The stakes couldn't be higher. In many ways, humanity faces an existential crossroads. Do we continue down the road of division and self-destruction? Or do we take the higher path of cooperation and co-creation? The choice is ours. But on that hopeful note, I'll wrap things up for today. Never forget, despite the drumbeat of cynicism out there, we are blessed to live in the most prosperous, free civilization in human history. It's easy to focus only on the problems and take it all for granted. I try to stay grateful and encourage you to do the same. As always when geopolitical temperatures rise, we need to stay vigilant against alarmism and moral clarity. The legacy media love stoking fears of imminent war, ratings over reason, but panic serves no one. Breathe, assess, strategize. Now Poland is understandably on edge given the proximity of Russian-aligned Wagner forces in Belarus. That's just sane threat awareness. But as my guest stresses, perspective is key. He estimates only around 8,000 likely armed Wagner mercenaries near the border acting under Belarusian constraints. Hardly an invasion force. Plus, Belarus has no appetite for provoking Poland, and the Kremlin is focused on Ukraine. So while vigilance is prudent, panic is not. This looks more like Polish posturing to justify military budgets than genuine imminent danger. As with most geopolitical flare-ups, the real risk stems from miscalculations, not malevolence. Cool heads must prevail. Which brings us to Putin's stock assessment of the slaughterhouse Ukraine has become for its troops, an estimated 10 Ukrainian soldiers killed for every one Russian. Hard truths to swallow, but closing our eyes to reality serves nothing. However brutal, these are the facts we must grapple with to achieve peace. And the numbers align with my guest's conservative estimate of around 400,000 Ukrainian troops already killed. A staggering toll, with potential for over half a million dead by summer's end absent a ceasefire. This cannot stand. There are no winners in wars of attrition. Only wasted lives and needless suffering. Understandably, Ukraine wants to save face amidst debacles like the recent Saporizhia meltdowns. But spin and denial only prolong the bloodshed. What's needed now is a pragmatic acceptance that Russia currently holds the battlefield advantage. So unrealistic mandates of Russian defeat only throw more Ukrainian lives into the gears of war. The same for those arming Ukraine with false hopes. Leaders must find the courage to acknowledge harsh realities, no matter how unpopular, and chart an ethical path to peace. But with politicians catering to hawkish audiences, I fear the courage deficit runs deep. Still, this is no time for hand-wringing cynicism. Clear-eyed idealism matched with strategic non-violence can turn the tide. It must, because make no mistake, this conflict sits atop a powder keg capable of igniting catastrophes spanning the globe. The developing world especially hangs in the balance as vital grain exports and fertilizers remain blocked. Despite admirable efforts to circumvent the impasse, as my guest explains, Russia's cooperation remains essential to stabilizing world food prices and averting famine. Yet brinksmanship rules the day. Poland expands troop numbers and Ukraine threatens Russian ships, inflaming tensions and mutual mistrust. While India now blocks rice exports amid hoarding fears, each side racing to secure their own interests above all, leaving the most vulnerable behind. This fraying of compassion and cooperation does not bode well, but a chance for wisdom still remains if leaders choose diplomacy over belligerence. And that choice rests with each of us as well. Public opinion, not real politic, is the rudder that can steer statesmen toward non-violent solutions.
solutions, but it takes engaged citizens willing to do the work of understanding complex conflicts beyond partisan talking points. Ours is an age of distraction and demagoguery, so this diligence is no small ask, but transcending propaganda to discover deeper human truths, the shared hopes and frailties binding us all, remains humanity's north star through the fog of war. In the end, the arc of history bends towards truth and reconciliation, not tribalism and destruction. Have faith, we must take care not to let prudence devolve into paranoia regarding the Wagner forces in Belarus. Hard-earned wisdom teaches that fear often breeds the very conflicts it hopes to avoid. Stalking hysteria can awake the proverbial sleeping giant, creating self-fulfilling prophecies. Clear minds are the key to averting calamity, refusing to get sucked into alarmist groupthink. And let's not overlook potential positive motives here either. Perhaps Russia is simply looking to avoid uncontrolled escalation on its borders. Often in geopolitics, defense is painted as a fence by opponents. This fog of war should make us cautious about familiar good versus evil narratives. There may be thoughtful deterrence strategies at play not visible to outside observers. Either way, peace must be the North Star guiding all actors. Belief in redemptive solutions, however improbable, can open up creative alternatives barely imaginable now. Inspiring examples from Gandhi to MLK demonstrate the power of principled non-violence to dissolve seemingly insurmountable conflicts. But leaders need help mobilizing the political will for such bold peacemaking visions. Public engagement is key. Movements to write letters, make calls, hold prayer vigils, anything to show support for diplomacy over aggression can embolden statesmen to take risks for peace. Grassroots action declares we've got your back against inevitable pushback. Plus determined citizens can lead the way bypassing gridlock governments via people-to-people -people diplomacy. Imagine Ukrainian and Russian mothers sharing their anguish and forging bonds of understanding, or Russian and Polish performing artists using their talents to humanize supposed enemies. A thousand creative demonstrations of our shared humanity await activation by everyday peacemakers. But divine timing is everything. Sometimes we must wait patiently, avoiding reckless provocations that could slam doors shut. Discerning when and how to act takes tuning into higher wisdom beyond our own limited minds. But make no mistake, now is always a time for quiet preparation. Increase compassion, consume balanced media, know history, engage respectfully with opposing views, lay the foundations for reconciliation, because lasting change unfolds from transformed consciousness, not just changes in policy. As Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. So be the light. Don't underestimate the power of seemingly small acts of courage, care and moral clarity. Plant seeds today and tomorrow may bear unimagined fruit. On that note, I'll wrap up today's dispatch. Never forget, lasting hope lies beyond the headlines and the shared heart beating within us all. The divine image dwells within every person, no matter how obscured by ideology and pain. Meet the world with this timeless truth forefront in your mind and watch walls dissolve. Yeah.